Welcome to the Dialogue by Wirepoints, connecting the dots between our economy, government, and people. And now your hosts, Ted Dabrowski and Mark Glennon. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Glennon from Wirepoints. I'm here with my colleague, our President Ted Dabrowski. Today, we intend to simplify and de-wonk the situation with local pensions across Illinois. There's some 650 police and fire pensions. Most of our towns and cities have their own police and fire pensions, and they are causing huge problems for the budgets in those towns and cities. That's gonna be the specific focus of our, our, our talk today. Uh, as you probably know, Illinois has a total of some 666 pensions. The bigger ones are the statewide pensions. There's six of those, and there's a number of in Cook County and Chicago. Uh, and there's IMRF, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But the ones that are the direct obligation of the towns and cities are those police and fire pensions. Uh, each city, as I say, has their own. They've been consolidated partially, which we're gonna talk about as well. But we wanna to get to the bottom line on those and what the problem is, where they're heading, how we could fix them, and why they're causing such a problem, despite, despite their smaller size, uh, proportionate to the budgets in those cities, they are very huge. Uh, Ted, why don't you uh, get us started by telling us how this is playing out in the community, some of which you visited. Yeah, the uh, you know the local pension crisis doesn't get enough attention. The, uh, the attention goes to all the the state and, and Chicago, just because well, Chicago's are, are so badly funded. Um, but the real issue is, that, as you mentioned, it's across the whole state. And you know, before we get into discussing the, the pension crisis itself, I kind of wanted to touch on how it's playing out across the state because the costs of pensions uh, are rising so fast in all these communities that they're they're crowding out everything. Uh, everything in order to pay for those things. And so I want to give you a few examples of how that's played out. So in Springfield, for example, the state capital, they've cut over 40 police personnel over the last decade uh, to make room for those uh, rising pension costs. And pension costs there now eat up 100% of their property tax uh, levy. So it's all going to to, to pension costs. And you're you're firing police policemen, active policemen to pay for it. Alton uh, recently sold off its water treatment facility. They sold it for $54 million in order to try to pay down $113 million uh, in pension debts they have. So they're selling off you know, public assets to, to fund pensions. Mount Prospect, um, you know, and this is a story I'll tell later, but uh, they fell behind on street maintenance as they, as they described it. Um, DeCoin recently hiked property taxes by 15% to avoid layoffs. And then you got places like Danville and Peoria, they've created these new pension fees. Instead of doing property taxes, they're creating these new pension fees in order to try to try to try to get them funded. So you've got places adding new taxes, utility taxes. It's becoming a real problem across the state. And the bottom line is that it's it's part of what's contributing to our cities shrinking in population uh, and, and suffering a lot of the economic problems that they're having because pensions are squeezing pension costs are squeezing out. Uh, the vibrancy of these cities. All right, Ted, let, let's uh, define a few terms for the sake of our listeners uh, before we get into this further. The local pensions, every year they must make a contribution to the pension. 
of course. And the concept is supposed to be that there's enough money set aside to match the future liabilities. So every year as well, each of these pensions has an actuary estimate how much it's going to cost in the future to meet the obligations that are coming. Uh, and the idea is supposed to be, again, that the city has contributed enough money to the pension, which together with its earnings thereon will be sufficient to pay uh, those obligations. Most of them, virtually all of them, are very, very short. And that's that unfunded liability number that everybody talks about. And when we talk about unfunded liabilities, you should keep in mind that's entirely for work already performed. It's also for just for tier one workers. Those are those hired after 2010. Tier two workers and new workers, they aren't the problem. In fact, they, they get a bump deal. We're on the side of reform that, uh, that helps them because they're getting such a bad deal. So the problem is entirely this unfunded liability for work already performed for the older employees, uh, people hired after uh, 2010. The contributions just haven't been sufficient. The city uh, courts have made very clear that towns and cities are directly liable to the pensioners if the pension runs out of money. Uh, they would, those pensioners would be able to sue the towns and cities for their pensions if the pension funds ever ran out of money. So Ted, give us some broad landscape on the numbers. And by the way, Ted and our research director, John Klinger have done very detailed review of this work. It's up on our site. We're gonna talk about it, wirepoints.org. Uh, if you want the details on any of this, you can visit that. But Ted, give us the, uh, some of the big picture numbers here. Well, yeah, so I mentioned some of the strife the cities were in. So we went in and looked at, uh, at the numbers to try to say, how bad is this? And, and you know, how do we measure how bad it is? And, and a big problem we've had in Illinois, and, and we've talked about this at the state level, is that pension benefits have been running, have been growing far faster than taxpayers could ever keep up. And um, so we wanted to test that. And uh, so we looked at the 175 largest cities in Illinois that have a dedicated police and fire fund in our study. And what we found isn't pretty. Um, first of all, we found out that over the last you know 15 years, cities have been putting in far, far more money than they used to into these pension plans in order to catch up. And what's amazing is that a lot of them are putting in three and four times more, five times more than they were putting up uh, you know, in 2003, which is when we started analysis. Those are the first year numbers that we have, available numbers that we have. So they've been putting in multiple times more. And what we found is that the pension benefits are growing so fast that even after all that, most cities owe two and three and four times more than they used to. So it's kind of like, you know, you're digging a hole, but the hole keeps getting deeper kind of thing. Uh, we found that, you know, there's over half of the cities in, in that study um, have less than 60% of the money they should have. And basically what that means is they're missing tons of money. And a lot of people think that 60%, if you don't have more than 60% of the money now, you're in a, you're in a, in a downward spiral. Uh, we found that the debts, basically taxpayers have to bail this out if, if it's going to, if it's going to happen. The debts that, that uh, families are on the hook for have grown about four or five times over those last 15 years. So it may have been that you owed 2000 per household in, in, in whatever whatever city we, we, we want to pick. And, I, and now it might be 8000 per household. And uh, these are future taxes that will have to be levied on people to pay for 
services already rendered. And I think the one of the scariest facts we found is that most of these police and fire pension funds have fewer active workers now than they do pensioners. So if you think of a Ponzi scheme, right, at the beginning, it starts out, you've got more people putting money in and just a few people taking money out. But um, now uh, there's more pensioners taking money out than active workers putting money in. And it, it's kind of the definition of a Ponzi scheme. It's, it's going to be hard to maintain uh, without massive bailouts from taxpayers. So in your 175 largest cities report, Ted, you actually graded those cities based on criteria that we thought through, kind of a balanced uh, weighted average of different factors. And uh, we kind of, kind of did a gut check, as you recall, uh, after we did that, because uh, we turned out to be pretty tough graders. Uh, lots of C's, D's, and F's. Um, is that overkill? Well, yeah. We concluded that it was not, and it was entirely fair to give so many bad grades. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, I remember the discussion we had. So so what we did, we did is we took a, a series of 10 metrics. And, and of course, look, we under, this is complex stuff, right? We could choose 10 metrics, 15, 20. It all gets a little bit complex. But we wanted to look and see how well those uh, pension funds were, were, were um, funded. Uh, we looked at you know, how much debt each household was on the hook for. We looked at how much pension costs were eating up of the city budgets. Uh, you know, again, how many workers to, to how many beneficiaries there were. So we did an, an analysis like that, and we compared 2003 to 2019. And in 2003, of those 175 cities, only seven failed, right? Things were already bad in Illinois, but, but they were still maybe, maybe work, you know, we could have worked out of the problems. Here we are in 2019, which is the comparison year, 102 of the 175 cities failed. And, and, and Mark and I were worried about that. Uh, you know, 64 had Ds, so just about everybody was almost failing. But, you know, when we looked around the country and we looked at how other states are funded, how other big cities are funded, uh, and how bad our ratios are when we compare to the national averages, uh, yeah, we were, we were satisfied that this is a deep crisis. And I think you only have to look at the kind of the out-migration numbers, people leaving Illinois and stuff like that to kind of say, well, 87 of Illinois' 102 counties shrunk over the last decade, according to the U.S. Census. People are leaving because these taxes are going up, up, up to pay for these pension debts that are going up, up, up. That, that's again, the hard the, part. The, the biggest factor that went into that grading was that unfunded liability number. And a, a few thoughts about that. Some people like to say 80% is good enough or 60% is good enough. No, no, no. You either have enough money for the pension or you don't. The American Academy of Actuaries put out a piece to try to specifically address this myth. And they said uh, just that, that 100% means you're healthy. And if you don't have 100%, you're underfunded. And that means that future taxpayers are going to have to make it up. They're going to have to pay what is effectively a compensation cost for workers that did their work long ago. So that's the problem that we're in. And these, many of these pensions are way underwater. Uh, that 60% number you you said, Ted, but many actuaries would say that's really the point of no return. You're never going to get right. that up if you hit 60%. And the average for these is uh, below 60%. Ted, do you remember what the average is? Yeah, it's probably going to be like in the, in the, it's in the 50s. I can't remember the number now, but in the 50s. And some of them far lower than that. Oh, yeah. You've got, you got some funds that are you know below 40%, below 30%. And it's you know, they're done. There's there's no way to save those pension funds. It's going to have to come out of taxpayers' budgets um, to fund them. 
So it's those terrible local officials that did this to this. They mismanaged the pensions and set up a bad system. Um, Ted, uh, I know you know what the answer is. Tell us. Well, yeah, you know, the um, all this stuff is mandated by the state. Um, there's a whole there's a whole discussion here about about how this problem started and evolved. Um, but I think I think it's worth thinking. I'll show you an example of, of how this happened. Um, basically, the state mandates these these pension costs. The, the, the formula is set by the state lawmakers and is protected by the Constitution. We can talk more about that. Um, and so basically, local local lawmakers have very little to do when it comes to this. And uh, I, I share the story of a visit to Danville that um, that I made uh, back in, in 2017, right when I joined Wirepoints. And uh, we went and visited Mayor Eisenhower. And Mayor Eisenhower was a great spokesperson for what the problems look like. And he said, look, let me let me explain pensions to you. There's five major things that determine what a pension, you know, uh, how much a pension will be. And he said one of them is, you know, the number of retirees. One of them is the the benefit formula. One of them is how well the the pension fund, its, its investment rates are return. Uh, salaries is another one. And then last, you know, is the number of active workers. So he says, of those five things, let me explain to you what I, you know, I, the mayor, have control over. He said, number one, the investment rates, I don't determine that. That's that's controlled by by other people. I, the mayor, don't have anything to do with how the money's invested. Number two, I don't control the number of retirees. Nothing I can do there. Number three, the benefit formula, that's set by the state house and lawmakers who control that. I can't change it. Number four, salaries. Well, I wish I controlled salaries, but uh, you know, lawmaker, uh, sorry, the police and firemen and, and, and other workers have the right to binding arbitration. And if I negotiate too hard, they bring in an arbitrator. So I don't really control salaries. And last is number of actives. And he said there, maybe I could control actives, but there's things like minimum manning laws, which have, you know, requirements of how many workers are actually on, 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 a, on a fire engine, for example. Well, I can't even lay off people. So he says, I don't have control. And, you know, what, he, what he'd love to have, what he said he'd love to have is control over these things, but he has none. And so basically these costs are mandated, foisted on local governments and they have to pay up or shut up. Yeah, Ted, it's uh, just another unfunded mandate. The folks in Springfield are all too happy to be generous uh, with public employees, but who's going to pay for it? They just stick the cost on the local governments. And once it becomes an obligation, it is constitutionally protected. As most people know, pension obligations, uh, according to our Constitution, the way our courts have interpreted interpreted it, uh, cannot be cut. That ruling applies to all these local pensions as well. Um, Ted, a little more background on why we're talking about police and fire. Uh, if, if you're wondering why we're only talking about them, what about the other employees? Well, first of all, there's a big statewide teacher's pension fund for teachers, even local teachers. And that's the biggest pension in the state by far. Uh, secondly, there's IMRF, the Illinois Municipal Retirement Fund. That's a funny animal. It's for municipal employees all across the state. So the, the mayor, the workers, mostly anybody except police, fire and teachers, school workers are covered by IMRF. And that's an unusual one because sort of every town and city has a sub account in that where they um, they are forced pretty harshly to make 
truly adequate contributions to that pension. So that is the one pension in the state of the Illinois that is pretty close to being 100% funded, pretty, pretty close to being healthy, effectively because they can automatically force property tax increases to fund IMRF adequately. So people say sometimes, we'll just make them like IRF, IRF IMRF is the model. Well, nobody's done that because nobody would want to face the consequences of the higher taxes that would come from that. I do wish everybody, I wish we had tried to make every pension like IMRF initially, because then it would have been become abundantly clear that the tax revenue just isn't there to fund these adequately, uh, not given the benefit levels that are being being promised. But what, what people forget, and you're, you're hitting the point, is that they uh, they can force, they have, you know, they're the first, you know, let's, let's put it this way, they're the first to get paid out of a city budget. So they're paid before police pensions, before fire pensions, before all those other city obligations that they that, that the cities have. And so they prioritize those pensioners over everybody else. And, and uh, you know, that's really, uh, many would argue it's not really fair, right, that they get a priority over things where maybe public safety, the active number of workers, all that maybe should be the priority first. And so there's a big battle. And you're right, if, if we were forced to fund all of our pensions uh, in Illinois and across the, across the state, over half of, of state and city budgets would be going to pensions. It would be, it would be, it'd be, it'd be a big battle because it'd be chaos because there wouldn't be enough money to go around for everything. And Ted, you mentioned what's an extreme example, uh, Springfield, hundred percent of their property tax revenue is needed to fund uh, their pensions. Uh, let's use that as a point to explain again, where the money comes from, where it's supposed to go. Most cities, their primary uh, source of revenue is the property tax. They also get money from, uh, sales taxes, some shared by the state of Illinois, fees is, various fees for autos and things like that. But the big one is property taxes. And uh, so that's where this bill shows up for the most part is in your property tax bill. And uh, in the case of Springfield, uh, you know, when you get a property tax bill, the largest item in there is for schools, that's separate. But there's a line item for your particular town or city. So that's the one where we're saying 100% of Springfield's property tax revenue has to go to their pensions. So they're forced to fund their police, uh, police force, city services of all kinds out of those other secondary sources, sales taxes and everything else. And there's just not enough revenue there to do that. That's right. You know, it used to be in Springfield back, back in the day, more than a decade ago, that um, the, the property taxes used to pay for, for some of the pension costs. It used to pay for libraries uh, and, and and a host of other things. And, you know, in theory, pensions should be funded by some contribution from the state, sorry, from the city, uh, which means taxpayers, some contribution from employees and the investment returns in the fund. And and then the rest of the property taxes should be for general services or you could have lower property tax levies. Uh, but in the case of Springfield, and, you know, this is an interesting thing. I, I went to Springfield. I was invited by Alderman Joe McManaman. Who, uh, who has done a great job of describing, he, he's a Democrat uh, uh, alderman there in Springfield, and he, he's done a great job of understanding the pension crisis and wanting to do something about it. And so he reached out to me way back then and invited me to speak to the city council. And uh, I presented the facts uh, of how dire the pension plans had become. I compared them to the decade before 
And boy, you talk about a, a, a backlash against what I said. You know, how dare I come down to the city council and talk to them about these issues? Um, they didn't like the fact that I said that, you know, at the time, almost 100 percent of the property tax was being eaten by by uh, pension costs. Um, at the time that I arrived there, uh, the, they had three fewer library branches and 20 fewer library staff because of the pension costs. Uh, they had stopped fixing sidewalks and I think eventually had to had to create a new tax for sidewalks. Um, there were 60 fewer public work positions then than five years before uh, when, when I had gone down. And um, and they had increased crime because, you know, over the last decade, they fired 40, 40 public safety workers. And so they didn't like what I said. But if you listen to them now, if you listen to the city council and the mayor, they're saying exactly what I was saying back in 2014. Um you know, a lot of these places are in denial about about the, the level uh, of difficulty and the costs that uh, these pensions are sucking up. But uh, that those are the facts and, and they, they're painful. Yeah. And essentially, you, know, you don't blame them for trying to talk up the status of the, the their uh, their community, but they're not to blame. They got stuck with this. Um, they need to point well, the finger you know, at Springfield. That's where the solution has to be. Yeah. Well, you know, Mark, and, and when you say Springfield in this case, you mean the state house, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was the, the the town, the city needs to point to the state government. Yes, exactly. But but what I do think, and 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 here's here's where you know we're right to say that the city councils and the mayors are handcuffed by all these mandates. There's there's many other mandates to create this problem, right? The collective bargaining laws that force either that allow teachers to strike, which which again makes cities weak, or it allows the um, police and fire funds to to call for arbitration when they don't like what's being offered by the city council. And so, yes, the local guys are handcuffed and that's not fair. By the same token, though, I don't hear enough city officials screaming and jumping up and down and, and demanding reforms out of Springfield. And that's what I think we really need. And I think you know, a guy like Eisenhower from from Danville was, was doing a pretty good job of explaining how bad those things were. But uh, we shouldn't let we shouldn't let them off the hook just because just because they have state mandates doesn't mean they, they they're left off the hook to to call for reforms and demand them from the state house. Yeah. Um, some of you who have been following this closely might say, wait a minute, Governor Pritzker signed a law just last year passed by the legislature that he said was a monumental step towards solving this problem. Um, uh, you know, a huge victory step towards financial security for these these pensions for the local pensions uh what about that what was his what was the nature of that uh well i'll go ahead ted oh no be a, be a, please he what he did was take a long overdue step of consolidating some of the functions of those 650 local pensions that is it makes no sense to have investment managers, uh, which is a you know pretty complicated job managing the money for each of those six six hundred and fifty funds. It's better to consolidate that work with really good people, and you get genuine, uh, genuinely better returns when you have a bigger pile of money. It spreads out the risk. You can invest for the longer term in uh, higher return assets like stocks that have. Um, more volatility, but but higher returns. So this was a long overdue step, but Pritzker grossly exaggerated the benefit of this. Uh, he claimed that the pensions might earn as much as 3% more 
per year. Um, that would be huge, and that's extremely unlikely. But even if it were true, that's $500 million a year, which sounds like a lot of money. But the fact is that total property tax collections uh, in Illinois total about $27 billion. So even if these savings were entirely devoted to property tax reduction, which of course they won't be, you'd barely notice a, a change in your property tax uh, savings. So those pensions continue to operate on their own. They all have their own boards of directors and uh, staff to handle some of the administrative work like paying out the pensions and pay, paying out, sending out the checks and, and routine things like that. But the, uh, the investment role has been consolidated, which again is a good step. We long advocated for that, but it's just not gonna make much of a difference. There's a lot more that goes with that, Mark, and that's the, 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 the fact that these reforms, uh, while important, as you said, are, are such a small part of the, the bigger, bigger problems in Illinois. And when Governor Pritzker and others celebrate what they did, they're, you know, they're giving everybody the feeling of reform as if they did something. But it's, it's, it's really you know, minuscule in the overall thing. And I think the other thing that's important to mention is that uh, these reforms might mean that the, the, that the investment funds are, are better off than they would have been otherwise. But there's nothing that they've done to control in the, the control the um, the local governments from giving out even bigger salaries because of that and 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 using the the, um, the benefits of those high returns to give away more bennies more benefits and so uh, until you control the growth in in benefits and salaries it won't matter and that's an important point I, sh I wanted to make is a uh, one of the things we looked at in our analysis was how fast are local public safety salaries growing you know, over the last 15 years compared to the private sector. And this is a fundamental problem, which comes back to the collective bargaining contracts, the, the power of the unions to negotiate really high salary increases. Their, their salaries have increased since 2005 by nearly 60%, okay? Compare that to the private sector, which was only up by 25%. So the people that have to pay for pensions, the private sector, their salaries aren't growing nearly as fast as the public safety salaries um, because of the contracts that the, the unions have. And of course they have the 3% compounded colas and things like that. Local taxpayers just can't keep up with the, with the speed at which the benefits are growing. And that means we need pension reforms. Otherwise it's just, you know, it's a, it's a game where, um, you know, the, the coyote will never catch the roadrunner. So let's talk a little bit, Ted, about what happens if the pensions actually ever run out of money. Suppose they just stop contributing. The towns and cities stop contributing or they can't contribute. Some cities are pretty close to being zombie cities like Harvey, North Chicago, East St. Louis. Uh, they have defaulted on some of their payments, not just to the pensions, but to other places where they're supposed to be paying money. What happens then? Tell us about the pension intercept mechanism that's there. Yeah, this kind of comes back to like the, the thing we talked about, the IMRF, which guarantees pension funding. So in, in 2011, they passed a law which finally came into fruition about three years ago, where if the pension funds have been shorted and they can prove that they haven't received the right amount based on the actuarial amounts they're required to get, they can go to the state comptroller and say, hey, state comptroller, please, whatever money the state is going to send the city, don't send it to the city, 
put it into pension funds instead to make us whole. And and that's a way of of the, of the pension funds, you know, in a way saying, hey, we want our money. You're not giving us our money. Now, that's all fine, except for if the cities that are having their monies intercepted by the state government, uh, what if they don't have enough to pay both pensions and their active police and firemen? And uh, in Harvey, they were the, Harvey was the first city to be intercepted. The state took, um, took a, I, I'm forgetting the number now, but a couple million dollars. And it turned out that Harvey said, well, if you take that money and put it into pensions, we don't have money to pay for our active police and firemen. So they fired 40 uh, public safety workers right off the bat. Um, eventually, I think they worked out some, some deals. So it wasn't as bad. But this is what happens when cities start to run out of money. And the same thing happened in, in uh, North Chicago on a smaller scale and then on a pretty large scale in East St. Louis, where you know these, these, these cities have to choose between do we pay our pensioners, do we pay our public, pay, public safety pensioners, or do we pay our public safety active workers? And that's an ugly position to be in. Ted, one other thing that many people don't know is that uh, if the pension does run out of money, our courts have said the courts can actually order a tax increase to fix it. Uh, they made that clear, and they actually did that in the case of Harvey. Now, I don't know whatever came of it because you know Harvey just doesn't have the money, but that was a written opinion, and they did that. And that, that should be a scary concept that uh, courts can get into the business of ordering tax increases. Now, in the case of Harvey, as you said, they, they sat down and made a deal. I mean, that there were multiple claimants that weren't getting paid. You know, the bondholders, they have a problem paying for their water even. That's still going on today. So all those parties kind of got in the room and said, look, we can't get blood out of a turnip. So let's, you know, divide this up in some way that makes sense. And that's consistent with the law. And that's how they've, they've been bumping along in Harvey. Uh, so if the situation continues to worsen, in some of these cities, we probably expect to see the same kinds of things happen. Um, you won't see that this year for the most part, because one of the other topics that we've written about so much is the federal government has just dumped huge amounts of money onto, uh, it's not just the state of Illinois and Chicago that you probably read about, but individual towns and cities as well. So they've had a little bit of breathing room that'll last a year, maybe 18 months, um, you therefore won't hear much about this because if it's not a crisis today, politicians, of course, won't talk about it. In fact, they'll brag about all the new spending that they're doing with that money, which is what we're seeing, and certainly in Chicago and with the state of Illinois, Governor Pritzker is doing that. So you might, have, you might see a little delay in the action here on the problems caused by these pensions for the time being but it's not gonna last because nobody has the expectation that that gush of federal money can continue. Well, and, and not to mention that they're spending that money. They're not, most cities aren't taking that money. Although, you know, speaking to uh, Joe McManaman in Springfield, they did make a, an additional payment to pensions. So it's good to hear some places doing something like that, but most are spending it on programs uh, and the collective bargaining contracts for sure are increasing salaries, um, you know, growing, growing headcounts in some places. And that means the, the pensions are still growing. The debts are still growing, even though the pain may not be felt for the first, for the next few months. So as we, you know, spend all that federal money, then the fiscal cliffs will be sitting there and they will be worse and they will be bigger. And 
you know, places like, like you said, there's a lot of places that are, that have been struggling and are struggling. They're going to be in more dire straits. And, and there's really no plan because there's not a word about reforms coming out of Springfield or even figuring out what to do about this. They, there's no mention whatsoever. And of course, the, the only real reform can come, Ted, as we've written constantly and uh, documented extensively, is if we amend that constitutional protection to allow for pension reform. Uh, the way our courts have interpreted that pension protection clause in the Illinois Constitution is that you can't touch uh, any benefits. You can only adjust pensions for new hires, which we've already done. As, as I said, that's excessive. We did that for tier two. Uh, but where the problem is, can't be touched. So the only solution is to change the, the Constitution. Bankruptcy would be an option too, but that's not on the table. That would have to be authorized by the federal government. Um, another option, by the way, is actually though for the municipalities that the state would authorize local bankruptcy, which many states have. And they've, there have been some very successful examples like Stockton, California. Uh, Detroit is still struggling, but it clearly got a, a second shot at life because of its bankruptcy. Uh, but municipal bankruptcy has to be authorized by the state and the state of Illinois has not authorized it. So that's off the table for and, now and, here. We think yeah, that's a mistake. And to be clear, Mark, that's just a simple majority. So the legislature in theory could, could immediately help a city like Harvey or others. You know, maybe some of them are, are beyond the help of bankruptcy, but um, they, they could, the legislature could easily pass that tomorrow if they so wanted. Of course, they're not going to, but, uh, it's, it's a simple vote, right? It's nothing that complex. Exactly. And, and you're quite right, Ted, that some of those uh, towns and cities are too far gone to be helped by bankruptcy. I used to do a lot of bankruptcy work as a lawyer, and you have to have something to work with. Um, you, know, you have to come up with a reorganization plan that you can convince the court is reasonable, that uh, keeps, the, keeps the city going and um, pay, pays what you can to creditors. But if there's nothing there to work with, then you have what they call an assetless bankruptcy and you're dead meat then. There's, there's, there's no way to help. So this is actually the time that cities should be looking forward to try to think about a long-term solution, but they're not. Uh, but back on that bigger, broader, really fundamental reform that we need for the state pensions as well, Governor Pritzker says, it's a myth. We can't do it, right, Ted? Um, What's his term for it? And he calls, he calls it a fantasy, a fantasy, a fantasy, a fantasy, um, which is absolute nonsense. Of course, the reason he claims that to be true is because of something in the uh, federal constitution called the contract clause that appears to prohibit any changes to contracts by the states. But that's in fact not an absolute rule. Uh, in fact, the way the courts have interpreted it is it should be uh, something that provides solace to pensioners and to people concerned about the protection of the pension, because what the Supreme Court has said is that yes, contracts can be adjusted, but that it has to be fair and reasonable. They put an outside limit on it. Uh, so nobody's talking about slashing these pensions uh, to some unfair extent or beyond what's, what's necessary to keep the cities going. Uh, and the federal government, the federal courts would not allow that even if you tried. Well, Mark, let me touch on that because uh, just uh, as, as we get near the end here, 
uh, we want to make sure that people know that you know we're not just complaining about these pensions. We've we've actually tried to work out solutions or, or frameworks for solutions. And so if you go to our website at wirepoints.org, we've got a policy tab, and uh, you know there's where we talk. It's, it's called 175 cities within the policy tab, and and there you'll see the work that we did on that. Uh, but we also have a, a blue tab on our website called Pension Solutions, and in there we we try to tell the story of what's happened with uh, pensions in Illinois. And we lay out in great detail a scored actuarial plan. We've done uh, the great work you've done on the legal research, you know, what's happened in Arizona and how they reform pensions. Uh, same thing in Rhode Island. No, no problems with the federal contracts clause. And so I think we lay out pretty well how we would approach it. And again, it's all a good subject for debate of, you know, how to reform these things. But um, we've really tried to lay that out in a way that that is uh uh, you know, good for healthy debate about how to work on this problem. We can't continue to ignore it in our, you know, our politicians and, and including Governor Pritzker continue to say it's a fantasy. And that's wrong because as we talked early on here, our cities are shrinking, people are leaving. And, um, you know, how many people are going to want to move in from some other state when they figure out that they're just walking into huge, huge uh, liabilities are going to be handed a bill for you know, for thousands and thousands of dollars to pay off old pension debt that they had nothing to do with. It makes no sense for anybody to move uh, into Illinois to assume that kind of debt. Yeah, wirepoints.org is where our site is, Ted. And, and we also, by the way, link to all viewpoints on this, including those that very harshly disagree with us. So there's a little search button up in the upper right. Uh, you put in the words of the topics that you're interested and you'll find not just our own views on it, but all major third-party articles, research reports, op-eds, everything from the last 10 years are up there. Ted, do you have anything else that you want to add before we wrap it up? No, I think, I think you know, uh, the last thing I'd say is for people to advocate for change. Um, a lot of people have given, given up on advocacy and, and they're just moving out. And that's, you know, the whole U-Haul story. But uh, this is a, a great state with great assets and a great, you know, great history. And you know, it won't be turned around as long as we have this pension problem. So we, we encourage everybody to get engaged. You know, go to wirepoints.org, learn what we've put out, you know, create your own opinion and then, um, you know, advocate for change. That'll wrap it up then. We'll see you next time on The Dialogue. Thank you.